0: There we go. Great. So those. So just so everyone knows, it's yeah, I am recording tonight, but um, we only use the audio um, just for privacy reasons, and people may want to share later. So, so uh, the language that the Buddha's teachings were recorded in uh, is the Pali language, which is not. Uh, outside of Buddhism um, isn't a language used anymore, but all of the um, original texts are all being translated from this, this Pali language. And in the Pali language, there are many words for mind, um, the understanding of mind at through this language and um, through the cultures that existed at the time of the language, including the cultural, culture that the Buddha was immersed in, had a very different understanding of what the mind is. You know, um, in English and um, in um, uh, English-based culture, uh, when we say mind, we usually think brain, we usually think head, you now that there's this location of the mind in the brain and in the head, and that seems really reasonable. We think um, intellectual intelligence, and even going further, that that is determined maybe by academic success or um, some other measurement, which um, as we go through this, it won't be surprising how limiting all of that is uh, when we relate to what the mind really is. And so in the Pali language, like I said, there's many different words for the for, for mind. And the one that comes up the most in Buddhism in the teachings of the Buddha is the word citta. And it's C-I-T-T-A, citta. And chitta actually translates as heart-mind. So it's it's pointing to something that already takes us a bit out of the headspace and more down into the body. And this heart-mind is um, looking at, um, it's it's more of a um, holistic view of the mind. It's not... Looking that much at intelligence, intellectual understanding, although you know there's nothing wrong with that. That is something that is valued and um, part of the process of deepening our understanding of the teachings is having an intellectual understanding of them. But then this chitta is pointing to something else. It's pointing to something that is, um, like I said, more holistic. It's more uh, of a knowing of experience and knowing of dharma, um, more embodied. We um, might say um, even intuitive or insightful. So, so this is important um, in terms of just how we're talking about the Brahma-Viharas as a as heart-mind practice. These are um, heart practices, but it's, it's in the mind. And actually in, in uh, the Thai language um, which is a uh, Pali based and very Buddhist country, um, and you see that through their language uh, and in their culture, uh, the word there's also many different words for mind and Jai is is the word for mind, but is referring to the heart, the mind, and the spirit. And again, it has this more holistic um, idea of what the mind is, this word Jai. And when talking about the mind um, uh, in Thai culture, you often go like this. You'll put your hand at your heart and not up here. So there's a different orientation um, in this context to what is the mind, um, something more embodied, um, maybe more at the heart level. But I think even that's a bit limiting, because I think wisdom is something that is more full-bodied even than that. But it's, it's nice to change our perspective. Words really matter. Words have such an impact on how we orient. And so um, all of this is important as we go through this series of the Brahma Viharas to keep this in mind that the Brahma Viharas are not not technically emotions, they're mind states, but they're of this heart-mind. It's very, actually it's more of an awakened mind, an awakened state. So the Brahma, Brahma Vihara is also, uh, this is a Pali term, uh, that when it's translated uh, directly, it's the dwelling place of the Brahmins. And the Brahmins are kind of um, celestial, um, uh, very awake, um, blissed out (laughs) beings within the (laughs) cosmology of, of Buddhism and um, it's uh, seen as a very high state and so the Brahma viharas is um, not just uh, the, the dwelling place of the heart but it is of this awakened high um, uh, heart, uh, heart mind. Um, it's of a mind that's really free. It's a mind that isn't cluttered with all the hindrances. It's not um, covered up with all of those anxieties and and worries and fears and hatred and uh, the greediness and all that confusion. When all of that is clear, it's the the natural uh, ability of the heart to be open and boundless. There's nothing that has to contain it. Its natural state is this open, boundless way of being in the world. And so, you know, with... um, There's four Brahma Viharas. I have a feeling most of you have heard all of these before. Um, but I don't want to assume. So there's uh, metta, which is often translated as loving kindness. Um, Karuna, which is compassion. So it's our, our these are, so metta is really this foundational baseline of an open heart. You could say it's the baseline. Uh, Just this, it's it's friendliness. We say loving kindness, there's a lot of debate over how to define meta. that love for in the English language um, is a little too sticky for, for many people. And so the use of the word friendliness is really starting to catch on. And it is, it's this, it's this friendliness towards, uh, it's a warmth towards whatever is arising internally. And also that friendliness, this, this warmth of connection, with um, other people, other beings. Um, and again, it's it's this baseline of the heart. And then compassion, uh, karuna, when we see difficulty, when we see the suffering, uh, either internally, we see our own suffering, or externally, we see the suffering in the ones that we love. We see it in our communities, we see it in the world. It's the heart's natural um, response is compassion. And we'll spend time on each of these and all their subtleties and um, where that line is that we start to fall into um, other states that, that resemble them but aren't quite the same. So for now, I'll just go through them in the simple way. Um, so this empathetic response towards suffering is compassion, and then there's the other side of that, which is mudita. Mudita is sympathetic joy, this um, happiness for someone else's happiness, happiness even for our own happiness. That the heart is is open. It's not falling into the pitfalls of what about me or you know. Um, Jealousy, right? It's just, it's happy for someone else's happiness. this empathetic response to joy. And then the fourth is equanimity. And equanimity, it's really important to orient it, um, orient around it as a heart practice, that it's this, it's something very warm it's um there's nothing cold or detached about equanimity which i think sometimes we struggle with our understanding in the english language of what equanimity really is that maybe we haven't learned it um properly and so there can be this idea of just maybe flatlined you know whatever <laughs> and that's not what it is at all it's very engaged it's um, that warm, that warmth of heart, but seeing the larger picture, it's it's really rooted in wisdom. So these are all um, uh, these are all the Brahma Viharas, and usually, um, usually we start with Metta uh, when teaching the Brahma Viharas. And that makes sense because it's this baseline. Um, one way that I like to think of the Brahma Viharas, is it's almost like you're building a house. And metta is the foundation. You've got uh, mudita, sympathetic joy and compassion as the walls. And then what keeps everything in balance is uh, equanimity as this roof line. So normally we would start with that foundation and then build up. But I'm questioning that, and so I want to experiment with you all a little bit on this because without equanimity, we, it's really hard to stay in balance with all of these different heart practices. Each one of them have what are called the near and far enemies where the mind um, gets uh, tangled up in our habits, you know, our, we we we're working on uh, meta on friendliness, and we quickly find ourselves falling into self-loathing or lots of um, of our you know natural guards and walls being put up. Because we feel like, well, I can't, I'm not going to offer metta to that person or this type of person um, or even to ourselves. And, um, and then with each, each one of the Brahma Viharas, we find um, that without equanimity, uh, it's just hard to hold. It's hard to stay in balance. For those of you who have ever sat a Brahma Vihara retreat or even just a metta retreat, thinking you're going to go in and it's just going to be bliss for how many days you're on it. You know, usually what you find is that it's one of the hardest retreats that you go on. It's one of, it's often, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be very blissful, but oftentimes um, it's so tender. It, it has us really, you know, pushing up against or, um, Coming into contact with some really tender parts of ourselves. You know, parts we weren't planning on messing with or looking at. But um that's what this practice does. It tenderizes all those hardened areas within our mind, within our bodies that have been holding. Um, our past or our fears. Uh, the Brahma Viharas is a very powerful practice. And so, equanimity, to have that balance, to have this larger viewpoint um, cultivated first, I think, I've been thinking lately anyway, might be a good idea. I think it could be really helpful. So my plan is to introduce equanimity tonight, and then we might go do another evening of it um, to go more fully into what equanimity looks like. Uh, and then go through the other Brahmaviharas and then circle back to equanimity at the end and see what that looks like. So thanks for being my guinea pigs. <laughs> I think it's gonna go well. I think this is a nice approach. So let's see, what do I want to say mm, about equanimity? So I'm just going to touch into some of the characteristics of equanimity. And uh, like I said, I think we'll, we'll need to, two evenings on this one. Um, so I said that already that equanimity is rooted in wisdom. Um, it's really, it's the heart's expression of wisdom. It's um, you know each of these brahmaviharas seem to be an expression of of some quality, uh, a human quality that is free of we'll say for simplicity greed, hatred, delusion, all of those poison classical poisons in the mind. When those are not present, and the mind is open and free of them, um, how it expresses itself, you could say, is through the Brahma Viharas, and so equanimity is that expression of wisdom, deep wisdom. Uh, upeka is the word for equanimity in Pali. When it's directly translated, it's often translated as to look over, to look over. So it's it's um, referring to this, this um, larger viewpoint. And so one way of thinking of it is, you know, we can be kind of climbing through the bramble and um, thick forest trying to get through not being able to see very far on, on either side. We're kind of sticking with what we think is the right path, the right direction, but it's confusing. It's, it's hard to, um, to see clearly. What, what, where am I? <laughs> In the scheme of things, where am I on this path? Where am I in my life? Um, Without equanimity, we lose that viewpoint. With equanimity, though, it's like coming, popping through all that brush to an overlook. And all of a sudden, you're on top of some hill looking down with an expansive viewpoint. You know where you are. You know where you need to go. You can see behind you and see where you came from. Equanimity holds that viewpoint. Equanimity, in some ways, um, as an archetype, I think of uh, you know a wise elder, someone who kind of embodies that wise, kind grandmother type. I know not all of us have had wise, kind grandmothers, so think of it really as an archetype that, um, you know, coming from this deep place of, of care, but offering advice that is, has seen and lived through um, many of life's challenges and also uh, life's successes and loves and beauty. Being able to hold all of that and see, um, and also seeing, you know, being in touch with impermanence and what is actually precious, what's actually important. So, equanimity, you don't have to be of any particular age, but it has that kind of archetype within the heart and mind. So it holds um, uh, the the this this perspective of there is suffering in life. It also holds the perspective of life is not just suffering. Right. So this bigger viewpoint, taking us out of that contracted mind state that sometimes gets so focused on. Only what's going wrong, or totally deluded that you know there's some suffering happening here. Equanimity spreads that out and lets us see the fuller picture. It helps us see that um, how much we really suffer when we are contracted and confused uh, and not seeing clearly. Equanimity has this ability of, of popping that bubble. In a way, because it is so based in wisdom. If, we're, if we only cultivate, let's say, um, compassion, for example, and um, we don't hold it with equanimity, we can so easily end up um, becoming out of balance, either offering every bit of ourselves to all of everybody else's suffering and not actually looking at our own um, or being so dragged down by our own suffering that we miss the suffering of others and, and how there's you know something there's unity in that that we are we're all connected and are suffering and non-suffering so um, when we do cultivate equanimity it, it starts to dissolve the illusion that you know we're somehow separate from each other from ourselves um it begins to pop that particular bubble it's very much based in in the understanding of impermanence which we talked you know i talked about that last week i gave a talk on impermanence and touched upon um, equanimity, but I don't remember if I directly called it out. But in order to hold an understanding of impermanence and stay balanced with the fact that things are coming and going, and that we are um, we are a mind body process that is constantly in flux, that our sense of self is not based on something that's very solid. It's it's something that is in a dance constantly with life. And when we suffer, it's oftentimes because we've congealed around some idea of who we are, who we should be, what we should be doing, what should have happened in our life. Um, And so equanimity is, very much based in healthy equanimity, understands all of that, that's the wisdom that it's rooted in, is this uh, understanding of what's not self, that that congealed sense of us that's not true, and it's very much based in impermanence, which allows us to see that larger viewpoint, Um, lets us kind of put things more into perspective, Let's see. There's a lot of different ways when we're cultivating the Brahma Viharas um, that we get thrown. One of them is when there's hindrances in the mind. I won't go too far into that right now, but I'll just name them. Many of you know them, and if you don't, they'll be familiar (laughs) because we all as humans experience um, these five classical hindrances. So we're, we're, you know, either our mind is really tainted by a state that is wanting this desire, wanting things to be different, or we've got what we think we wanted and now we're going to try and hang on to it. And just all the energy and, and, you know, challenge that that brings to um, um, only experience what we think is what we need and pleasant in our life. Um, And, you know, the flip side of that then is aversion, that we're then fighting against all the things we don't want, the things that are unpleasant, um, the things that we think shouldn't be here, or the things in people that we think should, you know, shouldn't be there. all that pushing away of experience within ourselves and externally. Um, then we've got the, the um, hindrance of restlessness. Sometimes it, it's worry, um, kind of this anxiety that starts to come up in the mind, the busyness factor that, that plays into just being distracted, not being able to focus. Going into fix it mode is often um uh, restlessness in the mind we can't settle you know there's it's not grounded it's the energy is it's way up here and out of body we're just spinning often when we're in restlessness imagine trying to cultivate compassion when there's restlessness in the mind or you know sympathetic joy when there's aversion in the mind it doesn't work <laughs> they they you know there's, there ends up being real conflict there with all of these hindrances. Uh, Then we have sloth and torpor, which is really kind of this um, tired, disinterested uh, mind. Uh, Sometimes it's even a laziness in the mind, just kind of, I can't really be bothered with um, paying attention to this or engaging in what's happening in this moment. Um, And so it's, it's almost a sinking Energy that that happens in the mind, where restlessness is way up here, and then there's it can easily flip even to you know we're exhausted, we just can't be bothered anymore, into this sloth and torpor mind state. Really hard to keep the energy up to stay engaged in the heart and mind with the Brahma Viharas when that's present. And then we have doubt. Doubt is that sneaky one that comes in. It sounds really reasonable. Um, it just starts poking holes in in wisdom you know it starts to see where can I um, falter in in the steadiness of my mind and the steadiness of cultivating the heart so there's those um, classic hindrances that come in and we'll we'll spend a lot more time with those um, a little later in this series but um, another one that uh, equanimity seems to have a lot of help with, um, and, and seems to um, it seems to be one of the areas where we can find a lot more balance when we're cultivating uh, the Brahma Viharas in particular, are the eight worldly winds called the eight worldly winds, which I love because you get this this Feeling of just being blown around by these conditions that are really internal. It's very much in the mind, but what our mind does with it is blame the the external. um, A lot of this, as I read these out, um, you'll recognize, you know, we think it's, well, it's because of this person or this thing that's happening out, out there. But really, all of it is just being generated in our mind. Okay. So um, these eight are praise and blame. How that just pushes us around, you know, praise. Oh, give me more. You know, I'll do, you know, we'll do lots of weird things just to, to hear that love coming from someone, that acceptance coming from someone. You know, for some of us, it's like nectar. We just, we, we crave it and maybe have whole relationships based on just wanting that praise. And then blame comes in and we're just, we fizzle out and we're, you know, it's like someone just let the air out of us and, you know, um, our whole sense of who we are suddenly gets ruptured. Um, Just pushed around, praise and blame, success and failure, same thing. Uh, Pleasure and pain, you know, how much we reaching for, for pleasant and pleasure and all the things that are going to make us feel good, if we could just line them all up, then life would be perfect. <laughs> and then, of course, that's impossible. So then we get the kickback of when things are painful, they're uncomfortable. Um, uh, they're, you know, something, something isn't quite right, uh, it shouldn't be that way, you know. And so then we, you know, uh, feel, feel down because of that. So you can feel just, you get whiplash from all of these different um, uh, uh, mind states. And the last one is fame and disrepute. So the same thing, all of this, just what it does to our ego, our sense of self. Um, We wrap ourselves around each one of these, um, hoping that it, it means something. And we give real value and meaning to all of these. So the eight worldly winds were just part of our discomfort in life and our our pain in life is being thrown back and forth between all of these um, different conditions. And we're thrown back and forth because we're not rooted in equanimity. That When these these things come forward, um, we're it's praise and, and the, the reason we're getting, you know, pushed around is because we are um, somehow um, losing track of, of, of who we really are and what really matters and um, losing track of the truth of, you know, things change and, and we, we change. that We're not always in control of everything. That's such a hard one. I feel like that is one of those truths that most of us struggle with till the end. <laughs> we want to be in some sense of, you know, ultimate control. And it doesn't work that way. Equanimity allows for this balance for us to um, stay centered in all of that. So you can imagine all those worldly winds whipping up around and equanimity is, is at ease, not bothered, not pushed around, um, not disengaged, conscious, but not um, buying into it. And so before we, I open this up, I did want to show you um, an example of this. A, there's um, one of the places I love to practice is in um, Massachusetts with IMS, there's the Forest Refuge. And you can go there and practice for long periods of time and the schedule is very loose. So it's for people who kind of like to um, be on their own practice schedule, but it's rigorous. Um, You're expected to be, you know, practicing, (laughs) not just, you know, taking nice walks and stuff like that. So um, I really love practicing there. And some of my deeper practice experiences have happened there. So I, I have it has a spot in my, in my heart. And as you go into the um, main meditation hall at the Forest Refuge, there's a Guanyin Yin statue. Uh, and it's really striking. And I found one that looks very much like it. I'm going to show it to you. And to me, let's see. Can you see that image? Okay. So just take a close look at her, and you'll notice that she's standing on a. It's actually a um, a, a lotus flower. She's standing on on that, uh, and underneath her is uh, it's ocean waves. I imagine it's probably um, there's a phrase called it's something like the waves of samsara the, you know, the constant churning of, of unsatisfactoriness that we are replaying in our lives in one way or another, over and over and over again. And it's depicted here as this really upset ocean below her and you can see the winds, are blowing through and, and then just look at her posture and her poise. And you get this sense of real groundedness. And it's not that the winds aren't blowing. It's not that the seas aren't churning. All of that life is still there. All of that is still happening. It's not that everything turns to bliss. You know, life continues, but you can see that you know, that ease not being moved or thrown around. There's great strength in that posture. So when I'm lacking equanimity, this is the image that comes to mind. This is my reminder so I wanted to show it to you. And when I'm in my practice and I feel like Ugh, <laughs> I'm just getting thrown in every direction I imagine this guanyin image actually just taking a seat inside of me. Just imagine, you know, feeling that strength kind of rise up and and take the reins, if you will. There's a lot of power in this practice, uh, the Brahma-Vihara practice, and in the practice of equanimity. Um, It's something that is over time meant to be embodied and known in that way. It really is not just an intellectual understanding. We can start there. But it is something that um, can be brought down deeper within within ourselves, and that's and that's where this can go. That's where how we want to cultivate this this deep wisdom, um, this expression of wisdom, the heart's expression of wisdom. So I'm going to stop there, and I would love to um, hear. Maybe just, um, we don't have a lot of time, but we could hear from maybe one or two of you, just your thoughts and any questions that you might have.
1: Kate, I wanna thank you for your take on equanimity. That's the first time I've heard it so cogently, totally explained that I got it. I always thought equanimity for me was like, oh, I'm not there yet. I have to be like on top of the mountain. You know what I'm saying? It's like I have to be totally together, everything, you know, check all the boxes. Mm-hmm. And so, when you put it in the way that you did, that was so freeing. I really appreciated mm-hmm. that. Thank you for expressing it that way.
0: I'm so glad. So, are you saying, Deborah, that you're getting that? It really, you know, you can have your your mind can actually be all over the place. Your yeah. body can be restless, and yet there can still be this part that comes in mm-hmm. that knows, you know. I thought of
1: it always as the end point. You're uh-huh. talking about it as sort of like the umbrella. And I always thought of it as, you know, the end, you know, it's like ah. you're finally there, you know, por fin, you know, but that's not true. The, the way you described it, that was not the case. So thank you. It's much more freeing this way.
0: I'm so glad because yeah. it is something we can experience at any point um, in our development and we're meant to. And equanimity shows up in other places in the teachings too, not just as a Brahma Vihara. It's a really important um, you know, cultivation mm-hmm. that strengthens the more awake we really are. Right. But even when we're not so awake, it's, it's a human ability that every, we all have. And can, you know, but we have to know where to look. We have to know, we have to know it. We have to get to know it Mm -hmm. intimately. Mm -hmm. We have to know these states so that we can call upon them. We can know that they're there when, when they are and not just bypass that. Like, oh yeah, everything's great now. So I, I don't really have to pay attention and we miss you know, the the fruit of everything that we're doing when we're, when we aren't paying attention to those moments. Well, they are often, we subtle. subtle.
1: It's sort of the nurturing to me of the elder wisdom. I mean, you know, it's sort of like, okay, so I've arrived at this place and now i really this is precious. You know, this yeah. is, this is really precious. And I really need to hold this tenderly mm-hmm. and with an open heart you know, and, and develop the heart, you know, it's like uh, the Dalai Lama kept saying, you know, your, your, your culture here, it's always develop the mind, you're always developing the mind, you've got to develop the heart, that's the beauty that's the of it. And I think with the, you know, the older you get, the more you realize, yep, you're going to develop the heart, because a lot of the other stuff isn't working. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> it's really out of whack. Yeah, it's out of whack. Oh. That's it. <laughs> thanks Deb thank you the word that comes to my mind is you've
1: made it accessible
0: oh yeah. good yeah so that's interesting to me to hear that from both of you that you know this idea and that it kind of goes back to to language again our vocabulary our our maybe cultural understanding of the word equanimity um, is is not the same as when we're talking about equanimity in the, in the Buddhist practice. And so we bring those understandings in those perspectives um, into our practice and kind of tie them up with the teachings. And then we're, we're left confused and not having a fuller understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had always heard equanimity as being told and I'd love to, have those phrases written somewhere Kate? because i always heard it as you know i have my path you have your path and it just that always felt to me like maybe true but it felt like another othering to me mm-hmm. rather than a grounding so it never quite resonated in the same way so ioko deb and Nick thank you mm-hmm. yeah yeah i saw um wow you guys have been using the chat tonight
1: <laughs>
0: thanks marina yeah that's nice marina Mental i thought wellness. it was beyond
1: that i thought it was like
0: you know
1: that on steroids you know yeah, well,
0: <laughs> you know yeah i mean it, it, it as you cultivate it it's there are states that you can that you'll find yourself in through the cultivation of this practice where equanimity becomes the main object and it's a very high state it's not it <laughs> but it's you know it, it it's it's mirroring something it's of, of real freedom there, or I should say, it's not necessarily it. You could, I guess it could be it, but um, yeah, it's um, it is a high state, and it's it's also a human capacity, and and, and you, that you don't have to be um, so far along to access what's in there. You know? Well, good. We're we're over time, Um, and um, yeah, we'll bring this back next week because we're just we're just kind of at the surface of of it, and so I'll I'll bring in more of the equanimity practice. And uh, I hope that it's something to just that you think about that it enters your thoughts as you're going through the week, Um, especially if you're feeling pulled in many directions, or you're feeling really stressed out about, um, you know, what's going to happen. You know, there's a lot of that, right? What, now what, what's going to happen? COVID, election, you know, whatever. It's all, it's all up in the air, right? Uh, equanimity, big picture, ease, grounding, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't have to figure oh, no. it out right now. Okay. Okay. So okay. I'll we'll end with a dedication. And then tomorrow is Betsy's um, morning meditation for those of you who are interested. So may the benefits of Listening to the Dharma and practicing all together. May it be not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy and content. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy. In their mind and body. May all beings be free. May we all be free. Have a good evening, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for Thank joining. Good night, everybody. Good night. good night. That was really wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, you're Thank welcome. You. Thank Bye. you so much. Bye.
1: you Bye. 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 Bye.
0: Thank you for listening.
1: To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.